Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide, episode 236. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news, views and reviews. Thanks for listening and thanks for downloading You first-time listeners, we're glad you found us and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, we round up the many rumors about the iPhone 8. Foxtel has made a decision about legal action against the Mundine Green fight streamers. More banks are now offering Apple Pay. And Prince's music is now available on streaming services. But is it what the late musician wanted? In the Tech God interview, we're going to chat to NRL CEO Todd Greenberg about the new Telstra Live app ahead of the season kickoff. In the Tech God reviews, we're going to talk about the Do Talk translation app and Samsung's Galaxy A series smartphones. And we'll finish it off with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. A massive show for you, so let's jump straight in. Well, kicking off the show today, uh, episode 236, is the iPhone 8. And even though it is months and months away from release, that hasn't stopped the massive amount of rumors that are circulating about the device. It's going to be a big year for iPhone for this reason. 2017 will be the 10th anniversary of the iPhone. The iPhone, the original iPhone, was released in June 2007 and this year that marks 10 years and naturally we're expecting something very special from Apple last year or last year 2016 when they released the iPhone 7 it was basically similar design to the 6 and the 6s and that that made me think and many others think that Apple was keeping its powder dry for something really big in 2017 to coincide with the 10th anniversary of the iPhone. And with that have come all of these rumors that we're going to go through in a moment about what the device will look like, what sort of features will we see on it, and when it will be released. So all these we're going to cover right now. And one of the first things we're going to talk about is, of course, what is it going to look like? Now, I think, as I just mentioned, the the 6, the 6S, and the 7 are pretty much very similar. And for Apple to produce the similar design three years in a row leads us to believe that there's an even bigger chance that this, the iPhone released in 2017 will be radically different from what went before it. And just on the name of the device, we're all calling it 
we assume it's going to be called the iPhone 8 because it's the eighth model in, in the line. Eight comes after seven. I doubt whether they're going to call it the 7S, which is what they usually do when the design doesn't change, but more features are introduced. So we're, we're thinking that if it's not called the iPhone 8, it could even be called something like the iPhone X, and X being the Roman numeral for 10. So there's always that option too. Apple may keep something up their sleeve there. But in terms of the design, the rumors are really strong around the fact that Apple are returning to glass. And I can hear you all groaning already. Uh, the glass was last used with the iPhone 5. They went back to aluminium, the aluminium unibody with the 6, the 6S and the 7. But there's a lot of time passed between the iPhone 5 and 5S and 2017, the, the technology behind Gorilla Glass, the strength of glass has really improved over the years. And I think that Apple may be steering back towards using that material as well. So uh, hopefully it's going to be a lot stronger. If you drop it, you're not going to be picking up a shattered device. So hopefully the strength has been improved. I don't think Apple is going to go backwards in this area. They're going to want that to improve. Uh, the, the the actual look of the device, they're, they're talking a more uh, rounded edges, uh, thinner, of course, as well. And the display will, this really strong rumor suggesting the display will go absolutely edge to edge and top to bottom, which means that the home button may disappear. The screen will appear to bend around the sides of the phone. And even the the uh, the speaker where you listen to your phone calls may even be a part of the screen. So above that little speaker, there may even be some display as well. So the whole front of the of the display will have an all screen design. That's the rumor anyway. And the type of screen too is uh, something that's been talked about is AMOLED display, which is uh, being Samsung have been using AMOLED, Super AMOLED, in their devices for years. And Apple have been using LCD. Uh, AMOLED not only offers richer colors, better blacks, but it's also thinner than LCD as well. So that will lend itself to the iPhone 8 overall being a whole uh, a lot thinner as well. Uh, screen sizes. We could see a larger screen uh, on the iPhone 8. Reason being is that the, the Apple may be able to fit more screen into the same size device. So without edges and without a top and bottom, the screen could grow by up to a centimeter. So we could have potentially uh, maybe a six inch or possibly larger than six inch screen on a device that's the same size as the current, current iPhone 7 Plus, for example. So that's something to look out for as well. Uh, new features, a lot of rumors around more biometric security measures, like so things like facial recognition, iris scanning. Iris scanning, you may cast your mind back, was something that the Galaxy Note 7 included. So you could actually unlock the device just by looking at it. 
uh, and we all know what happened at the Note 7, not to say that the iris scanning was responsible for that, but we are hearing that Apple has been sourcing iris scanning components from a Taiwanese manufacturer. That's a very strong rumor as well. Facial recognition is another one. We can see that with uh, Windows. Windows Hello offers uh, offers that feature right now. And because the, the home button, button may disappear from the front of the phone, so the fingerprint reader could be potentially replaced by the facial recognition or the iris scanning. Apple may even decide to put the fingerprint reader on the back of the iPhone like a lot of other devices tend to be doing now. Uh, if it doesn't have a, a, a touch, a physical home button, this could potentially be an option as well. Uh, the other thing too is that there may be a new Taptic engine. So if anyone who's used an iPhone, they can feel that little vibration when they press the, the a recent iPhone, the 3D touch gives you a little buzz in return the new Taptic engine may be a way to replace the home button. So a long press on certain parts of the screen will take you back to the home, to your home page, uh, but that still doesn't solve the fingerprint reading unless they come up with some miraculous technology that can read a fingerprint through a display, but that is yet to be seen. Uh, charging. The, the uh, Apple seem to be, uh, the rumor suggests anyway, that Apple may be moving to wireless charging. So what that means is then rather than you put, connecting a cable, you can actually uh, lay the phone down on a charging plate and then the phone will charge similar to what you can already do with the Galaxy S7 and S7 Edge. They've already got this feature. Apple will uh, will be catching up in that area if they do decide to go with that. Uh, it'll obviously be water resistant. They're not going to have an iPhone 7 that's water resistant and an iPhone 8 that isn't. Uh, I think they're going to have an even better uh, IP, which is short for ingress protection. The IP rating, I think we're going to see it go up to maybe an IP68. It's an IP67 on the iPhone 7, uh, which means it can go to a depth of one meter for 30 minutes. Uh, IP68 will mean, means it can go to maybe 1.5 meters for uh, 30 minutes. So that, that I think, is a pretty sure bet as well. Uh, in terms of the uh, how many models are there going to be, that's one question where people are speculating that there may be up to three different models just so that Apple can potentially spread the price points to appeal to a wider range of customers. I think at the top of the line, my, my theory is that they may have the iPhone 8 Pro, which will be the super-duper AMOLED screen, curved edges on the screen, all the bells and whistles, then down to an iPhone 8 Plus, which will be an update with a new design, just with the with the slightly smaller screen, and then an iPhone 8, which will be like your entry-level smaller screen, still with the with the design uh, design cues from the other models as well. That that's potential too. So there may be three in that range. Uh, the, 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 this is, I, I think that's a really good chance of happening because uh, Apple, uh, the, the one thing that they don't do is offer a range of phone pricing. So they don't have, a, for example, a mid-tier phone. They only have uh, high-end devices in the top tier. This may be an opportunity for Apple to maybe range the iPhone 7 down to the mid-tier and have another level up to the to, to the uh, iPhone 8, and then move up to the top models, which uh, I, the iPhone 8 Pro, I'd say, will be worth top dollar uh, if if, uh, if that is, in fact, the way they decide to go. The release date. When will we see the iPhone 8? Uh, and if it follows the current uh, cycle as we are, uh, 
then we're not going to see it till September because that's when the iPhone 7 was released. So if they do decide to wait the full 12 months, you're going to have to wait till September. But there are really strong rumblings that it could be released as early as June. And that's that's important for a couple of reasons. The first being that June would be exactly 10 years since the original iPhone. So June 2017 would have a nice symmetry to June 2007, exactly 10 years since the new iPhone went on sale. The other the other reason why June may be uh, it, it, the release date is that it would reduce the amount of time for Samsung to have a new model in the market. In the past, we've seen Samsung release their new Galaxy devices in March or early April, and then they've got all this time till September before iPhone, before Apple comes up with a new iPhone. So this year is a little bit different. The Samsung S8 isn't due to hit the market till about April. And if, if Apple can reduce the time between their release and Samsung's release, so if they release their new iPhone in June, it only kind of gives Samsung two months in the market alone with a new device, so April and May. Uh, if iPhone come out with a, if Apple come out with a new device in June, that's really going to shorten Samsung's runway time with their new device. Like I said at the start, these are all rumors, uh, speculation, and a lot of information that's flying around that uh, in the past has been has been pretty accurate. We've seen uh, a lot of things that we've that we've that have been rumors actually uh, become real. They've, they've been confirmed uh, when the device was released. So stick with us. iPhone eight rumors. There's going to be plenty of them between now and when the device is released, and you can read all about these rumors and everything else that we come up with about. Apple and the iPhone 8, everything you can see at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Well, if you hearken back to last week's episode where we spoke about the two, the people who were streaming the pay-per-view Mundine Green fight on Facebook Live for their followers and, and even people who weren't following them, who weren't their friends, You'll remember that Foxtel, and rightly so, made made a big deal about it, called them, contacted them, threatened them with legal action, and kind of left them on tenterhooks for the whole week, wondering what the hell was going to happen. Well, Foxtel has finally made a decision about this whole thing, and it was after a week after the the illegal streaming took place. Two gentlemen in particular, Darren Sharp and Brett Heavers, they were the they, they were the two people who had the most followers, the most people following their streams. Darren Sharp, we spoke about him last week. He even recorded his phone call with Foxtel, Foxtel telling him that he was breaching copyright law. And between them, they had more than 150,000 people watching the fight when you consider it cost fifty nine ninety five a pop to watch the main event channel, then it potentially cost Foxtel several million dollars for, for the, uh, because of these two guys' actions. Now, as a result, Foxtel has decided to not pursue legal action. They're going to keep it out of court. But what they did ask the two gentlemen to do was to post apologies on their Facebook pages, which they did, and and they did it pretty quick quickly uh, because it was that, or maybe facing up to sixty thousand dollars of fines in court or potentially jail time. 
the apologies were obviously scripted by Foxtel because they're they're both almost uh, they're almost identical. There's slightly different phrases between them. I've got them both on Tech Guide for you to check them out. But Foxtel's approach is well, let's educate these guys rather than take them to court. Uh, the Foxtel CEO Peter Tonner said, and I'll quote: "Foxtel's been in touch with Mr. Sharp and Mr. Heavers following last weekend's illegal Facebook live stream of the Mundine versus Green match, and we've expressed our great disappointment with their unlawful activities. Rather than taking legal action, we decided to take the opportunity to educate both of them about the significant harm such actions bring to the production of local Australian content, including live sport. We have given the individuals the opportunity to." Form- Formally apologise via a public social media post, acknowledging the gravity of the situation in the hopes that more people will learn that copyright theft is not a victimless crime and something that should be taken very seriously. That was Foxtel CEO Peter Tonner. So they are not going to court. These guys have been given a reprieve. What some people have suggested is that maybe Anthony Mundine and Danny Green themselves may have a case against these two. Whether that's followed up, we don't know. It has potentially cost them money as well, apart from Foxtel, uh, the, 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 this, this piracy. And that's exactly what it was. They, they streamed it illegally. They gave people free view of what should have been paid for content. But uh, that could be a development. We'll, we'll keep you in the loop. But in the meantime, if you want to read about that decision, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Next up, we're going to talk about Apple Pay and the fact that two more Australian banks have joined in and offering Apple Pay to their customers. Two more major Australian banks, and we're talking about Macquarie Bank and ING Direct. So from now on, right now, they are offering their customers the ability to make payments using the iPhone and the Apple Watch. And these are two more banks that have joined in. You've already got ANZ, you've already got American Express, several smaller financial institutions, uh, part of the Cuskall group of financial institutions are already offering uh, Apple Pay as well. Uh, The latest uh, to join was Central Murray Credit Union, so they're on board. But uh, the the three majors are still holding out, and I'm talking about the Commonwealth Bank, Westpac, and the National Australia Bank. And there have been some developments this week about that and why they are holding out. The, The whole issue in the past with these three major institutions, the big three, let's call them, is that they wanted Apple's fees to be passed on to the customer, something naturally that Apple refused to take place because that was not part of the agreement they're going to have with merchants. It shouldn't cost the customer more to use Apple Pay than any other form of payment, which was their argument that they that they have since won. The, the banks have conceded that that, that will, uh, will be the case and that they will take a couple of uh, cents less in their particular transactions. But the issue that still remains is the banks wanting to access the iPhone's NFC antenna. And that is now the center of the this ongoing dispute and the reason why the banks haven't joined in on Apple Pay as yet. And when you look at the, this argument, Apple naturally are refusing uh, to allow that access to that antenna. But the bank's argument is that, well, if, if the iPhone can work using 
the infrastructure and terminals that have been supplied by the banks, then why can't the banks access the chip on the iPhone? That is now the central argument in this ongoing case. And the ACCC is involved and it's going to, I think, going to be carrying on for quite a while. The ACCC is, by the way, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Uh, They are involved in this and they're hoping that this can be resolved by March, by next month, uh, because there are so many people whose reaction to my story on Tech Guide and on our Facebook page was, well, why can't my bank be involved here as well. And I've heard of several cases where people have actually changed banks to be able to use Apple Pay. And it works just at a, like a normal uh, normal contactless payment system, uh, normal uh, terminal where you can use your iPhone or your Apple Watch. I've used Apple Watch many times to pay for things. And the, the look of surprise you get from the shopkeeper is uh, is priceless. But it is so convenient. It's it's there. You don't have to get your wallet out of your out of your pocket. It's there. A lot of customers are waiting to get this, and uh, customers of these banks in question: the Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank, and Westpac, even others like St George. And there's so many that haven't joined in. I think they're waiting to see what the decision are that will will come uh, from the ACCC and the uh, and the banks discussing this with Apple. This is uh, a saga that continues. But the good news is, if you're an ING direct customer or a Macquarie Bank customer, you've got Apple Pay today. If you want to read more about that, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Well, if you're a fan of prints, it uh, it's, there's some good news for you today, and that news is the fact that his entire music catalogue is now going to be available on Apple Music. It is going to be back on Spotify. It was there up until 2015, but Prince yanked it, said no. He was against the whole free tier where the artists, he, he thought, uh, were a little bit screwed in that arrangement. And so he took it back off Spotify in 2015 in protest because of that free streaming tier that he thought gypped the artists a little bit. Now, Prince, as you know, uh, unfortunately, sadly, passed away in uh, April last year, April 2016, and he was really uh, quite quite vocal in when 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 standing and fighting for artists' rights, and that's one of the reasons why he didn't he took his music back from Spotify. He wanted to make a point. Apple Music didn't exist then, so it wasn't really uh, an argument. Uh, in before he died, uh, it, it existed, but in 2015, when he took it back off Spotify, uh, Apple Music didn't exist then. So it's interesting to see that now that he's passed away, that this decision has changed. Now, just on Prince's attitude towards artist rights, it is well documented. He's famous for standing up for artist rights. And this is years before even digital music and streaming service services existed. Now, if you cast your mind back, uh, there was, he had a well-documented uh, dispute with Warner Brothers. That's his current label. Back in, the, in I think, 1993, when his, his dispute with Warner's was that they weren't releasing his backlog of music that he was writing and producing. He, they weren't releasing it fast enough. Warner Brothers' argument was that, no, we don't want to flood the market with too much music. 
And so in protest, he actually changed his name to a symbol. Do you remember how he was called the artist formerly known as Prince? He changed it to a symbol that was a combination of the male symbol, female symbol, love symbol. And that was how he he fought against Warner Brothers in that case. He went back to using the name Prince in 2000, uh, but that was when he was with a new label. Arista Records was his new label back then. But anyway, cast your mind back to the present, and now Prince's music is suddenly on Spotify and as well on Apple Music. And there's a, there's a big deal for these services. A lot of Prince fans out there who uh, will devour this music. A lot of even uh, a lot of people will be discovering perhaps Prince music. The sort of younger generation discovering Prince, all of Prince's music for the first time, thanks to its exposure now on Spotify and on Apple Music. But, but since, since Prince's death, the managers of his estate uh, have obviously had a change of heart, and that change of heart, I think, has something to do with the reported $100 million in back taxes that his estate owes. So I think that's probably the reason for this posthumous backflip of him, uh, of his estate anyway, suddenly granting permission for his streaming service, his music to be, uh, uh, to be uh, accessed on streaming services. The only streaming service that Prince actually approved of before his death was Tidal. Tidal is a like a high-end streaming service, it's higher bit rate of music, but it was partly owned by Jay-Z. Now, he's hip-hop, a big name in hip-hop, married to Beyonce. Uh, the reason he allowed his music on Tidal was because the business model was heavily slanted in the artist's favor. So they got the bulk of the profits in that service, and that's the only reason why Prince allowed his music in on that service now. But uh, since his uh, sad passing last year, the estate now makes the decisions, and that decision is to allow his music back on Spotify and also accessible on Apple Music. Uh, may his memory live on in his music. Uh, you can now enjoy it on all these streaming services. But uh, if you want to read more about that and check it out, you can do that at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, we live in a world where our connected devices have become an indispensable tool in our lives. Introducing the Netgear Nighthawk X10 smart Wi-Fi router. It's built using the latest in Wi-Fi technology. It allows users to get faster Wi-Fi speeds on multiple devices simultaneously and is perfect for 4K streaming, VR, and super-fast data transfers. In fact, it can wirelessly transfer data at 4.6 gigabits per second. This means your 4K video will take seconds, not minutes to transfer. The Nighthawk X10 smart Wi-Fi router is also built to meet the needs of today's connected home. From connected deadbolts, smart lights, or Arlo Wi-Fi cameras, the four powered active antennas reduce interference and intelligently direct Wi-Fi across large distances. The Nighthawk X10 also is the first router with the Plex media server built in. Plex organizes all your video, music, and photo collections and gives you instant access to your content using an always-on router. Wireless is stream 4K video to any device jitter-free for the ultimate family movie night. The Netgear Nighthawk X10 smart router contains a quad-core processor for unparalleled speed and power to keep up with your fast-paced lifestyle. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Nighthawk X10, the world's fastest Wi-Fi router. Check it out. Now, a 
Tech Guide interview. Tech Guide. Our Tech Guide interview is with the NRL CEO, Todd Greenberg, and we caught up with him at the Telstra event last week, the launch of their new live apps for the NRL, AFL, and Netball. And uh, Telstra has big plans for their streaming services. So if you're a Telstra customer, you can access all the games for in the NRL and the AFL every weekend, every match, live on your device. It is free if you're a Telstra customer. For non-Telstra customers, you can pay $12.99 a month for the NRL, $14.99 a month for AFL, $12.99 for the netball, or you can buy a yearly pass, which will be $29.99 for the netball or $89.99 for the NRL or the AFL. At the event, we had all the CEOs of those sports, including Todd Greenberg from the NRL, Netball Australia CEO Marnie Fetchner, and AFL CEO Gillan McLaughlin. They were all at the Telstra event and expressing the tremendous relationship they have with Telstra. Digital is a very important part of all of these codes, and uh, their, their numbers of people watching matches are setting records, and that's something that Telstra is expecting in 2017. So the, the, the whole digital side of viewing there's obviously watching live watching if you can't make it to a game you can still catch it on your your smartphone or tablet and you can't transfer that signal via airplay or chromecast to a television then you can only watch them on those mobile devices transferring it to a tv with airplay or with chromecast would encroach on the tv rights holders which happen to be channel 9 and Foxtel. But we had a chance to have a chat to NRL CEO Todd Greenberg, and here's what he had to say earlier. Well, I'm here with uh, NRL CEO Todd Greenberg. Welcome to the Tech Guy podcast. Really nice to be on this podcast for the first time. And, uh, well, big, uh, big exciting times. We're here at the Telstra launch on the, on the eve of the uh, season kickoff as well. Uh, it's exciting, exciting season ahead. Well, what's exciting really about this is us taking the game to more people. Um, and, you know, the generation probably below you and I watch their rugby league in a very different manner. Um, so what we're looking to do is make sure we provide those opportunities and partnering with Telstra is going to allow that to happen. So that is a very important sort of the, the, the link with Telstra, the mm. use of our technology now. Mm. So they're, they're predicting that more than 3 million people between the NRL and AFL are going mm. to watch on their mobiles. Mm. And, look, you've probably heard me say this on my first day in this role was when someone said, what's your goals? My goal was to have more people playing the game, more people watching the game. And when I say more people watching, I mean three things. I mean people in stadiums clearly want to drive our crowds. Um, The second thing I say is more people on broadcast. We love to see our ratings are strong. But third, and probably our biggest growth, is in digital, is how people can stream games, be on mobile content, and still engage themselves with their NRL. Um, and through Telstra and today's announcement, that's exactly where we're heading. So the use of technology is important. You mentioned you mentioned during the uh, the press conference the social media. Mm. So that the whole that whole sort of section of the NRL, the whole the social side, the technology side, is really building the audience and, and keeping the game strong. Yeah, and not only building the audience, really engaging the audience. You know. Um, this generation that we're talking to do things very differently. You know, I used to watch a game on Sunday and talk to my friends about it on Monday. Uh, mm-hmm. Kids nowadays, they talk about it in real time. They don't want to tell you what happened. They want to tell you what is happening. And I think there's a real difference for us to make sure we innovate and evolve and give our fans exactly what they want. I understand there's going to be access so that, you, that people on the mobile app can look into the bunker now? Yeah, absolutely. We think uh, the innovation we made last year around technology and the bunker and our refereeing decisions is really important. So... 
you know, transparency is big for us. We want to make sure the fans understand how and why those decisions are made. Now, you and I know that they won't always agree with it, <laughs> but that's what makes the game so interesting to watch. Absolutely. And, and I heard, too, that a lot of people, even when they're at the game, they're also looking at the app mm. at the game, so they're getting the stats and all the, the live feedback. Yeah, look, our research tells us that uh, there's a huge opportunity for secondary screens at games, and that's why our new stadium strategy with government and connectivity for our fans is really important because it's not one-dimensional anymore. Um, you know, my, I've got two teenagers, so I watch this every day in every way about how they watch not just their sport but all sorts of content. And one thing I can assure you is they never do things one-dimensionally anymore. There's multiple devices going, and... Rugby league's got to stay with that. Absolutely. Is it too early to ask the NRL boss a tip for the premiership this year? Or? Well, my tip is uh, the Kangaroos and Jillaroos to stay right <laughs> on the fence. But, you know, I'm really looking forward to the season. I think there's going to be some upsets along the way, as there always is. And no one person can agree on what the top eight looks like, and that includes me. Absolutely. Todd, thanks for your time. Thanks no for worries. Thanks us. for having me. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide. Our first review or first product to talk about this week is actually an app, and this is a translation app called DoTalk. And this app was actually is an Australian production. This was completely designed and built in Australia, and it's designed. It's called DoTalk for a reason. It's a translation app that's designed to break the language barrier, and what it can do is provide voice-activated translations in up to ninety different languages. So you can imagine if you're in a conversation with someone, whether you're texting or sending audio files to each other. So if you're in a, there may be three or four people in the conversation that can be added. If you record what you want to say, it will then be translated and sent as a text message in the chosen language of the recipient. You can also send a text message if you want, and it'll it'll translate that into that into the chosen language as well. So there's a seamless thing where you can actually hold a group chat of up to ten people at a time using multiple languages in real time. Now this is a free app to download, but there are in-app purchases, so you can unlock the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, will cost some money, but initially you can set it up for free. Use it to talk to various people. If there are language barriers, you can choose what language that you want to receive your audio audio uh, messages or text messages in. So, so my end would be I want to hear everything in English. Maybe the person at the other end may be Japanese or Spanish or Chinese or whatever other language they happen to be speaking. And their messages will be translated and sent to me in English. And vice versa, my English text or audio message will be translated into their language. Language. Remarkable technology designed by Reno Nicastro. Uh, he's based up in Cairns. He's been uh, developing this for some years now. And this was, as I said, entirely developed here in Australia and available for both iPhone and Android users. So if you're talking to people, uh, wanting to make yourself understood in all these languages, it is now possible. Up to 90 different languages, instant voice translation, voice-to-text text dictation, group chat, so you can have simultaneous translations if you're in a conference call or conference messaging. You can send private messages as well. You can send and receive attachments and files, and it's all secure. It's got 256-bit encryption. So uh, you can even search and add friends through your contact list. So a really handy little app to have. Do talk. It's an Aussie app and well worth a look. If you want to check it out, the story is at techguide.com.au. 
Now, Samsung are back in the smartphone game. They've put the Note 7 dramas behind them. We're expecting the Galaxy S8 and S8 Edge in April. But in the meantime, they've introduced a new series, the Galaxy A. Now, these are smartphones that are mid to super mid-tier pricing and are going to really compete to that growing segment that's kind of dominated by other players, like mainly Chinese players like the Oppos and Huawei and ZTE and these other companies. Samsung is now going to offer the Galaxy A series in two sizes, the 5.2-inch screen, that's the A5. The A7 will have a 5.7-inch screen. They're going to be available from this week, and this week I mean February the 16th. Uh, so that is only a few days away. The A5s will be priced at $649. The A7 with the larger screen, $799. And the only difference between the devices is the screen size and the battery capacity. All the other features are identical. So they've got the similar design. They're just 7.9 millimeters thick. The The design looks the same. Uh, each model has a 16 megapixel camera front and back. So you can capture great selfies as well as excellent photos as well. So 16 megapixel on the front and on the rear panel as well. They're also water resistant with an IP68 rating. Both devices have got a 1.9 gigahertz octa-core processor, 3 gig of RAM, 32 gig of onboard storage, and a micro SD card slot to expand. 3,000 milliamp hour battery aboard the A5. The A7 has a slightly larger 3,500 milliamp hour battery as well. Both have NFC and compatible with Samsung Pay. So uh, that is really interesting, this entry into that mid-tier market. It is only a week after we saw the introduction of the, the Huawei Mate 9. Priced at $9.99, it does offer premium features, but a product like this is going to put some pressure on it because it, it has some features and capabilities that that device does not. As, as with the other, other competitors in this field, the Oppos and ZTEs, uh, they're, they're not waterproof. They don't offer, I think, the similar camera resolution either. So there are some strengths in this device competing in that mid-tier level. It is going to be an option for people who can't afford the top-tier device and maybe younger users who, who want to have that great camera. So a lot of features here aimed at millennials to appeal to those customers as well. So good camera, nice big screen, waterproof. They're big ticks for a lot of those customers in that category. So the Galaxy A series available this week and you can read all about them and see some images of them of course at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. While public Wi-Fi at airports, hotels and cafes is convenient, it is not always safe. Did you know that accessing the web using public Wi-Fi can expose your most sensitive information like passwords, photos and credit card details to hackers and identity thieves? Norton Wi-Fi privacy helps encrypt your information when you're online so it can't be intercepted. So whether you're worried about hackers stealing your password or companies tracking your online activity, keep your personal information protected with the new Norton Wi-Fi privacy app. To learn more, visit au.norton.com or search for Norton Wi-Fi Privacy on the App Store or Google Play Store. Tech Guide. Now, 
answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Now, we've been bombarded with your questions and we love receiving them, so keep them coming. Info at techguide.com.au or click on the icon on the right side of Tech Guide that has my picture that says, got a tech question, email Stephen Fennick. That'll get you through as well if you want to submit a question that I will answer and also possibly feature on the Tech Guide podcast. Now, this week, we seem to have a lot of emails about people dealing with spam and spam messages that are flooding their inbox and just making life a misery that takes them so much of their time to delete these messages and how do we deal with it well there's a couple of things you can do well the most obvious one is to try to unsubscribe from these services but they're pretty tricky because they often are sent from slightly different uh, email addresses they don't offer the unsubscribe which uh, i thought was law uh, you can report these to various bodies about uh, you know, reporting these people for spam. But what you can do also is mark all these incoming messages as spam, as junk. And then hopefully your email client, whether you're on a Mac or a PC or you've got some spam uh, software in part of your internet security package, hopefully that'll pick them up before you see them. So rather than you seeing them all, we all receive spam and junk, and then they're normally put into a junk folder, and we don't even see them. They don't bother us. But in this case where they are coming through, they're not identified as junk, stay at it, identify them as junk, put them in the in the junk folder, try to unsubscribe, do your best in that area, and hopefully your spam will be reduced. If you can do that, if you can just stay persistent, work at it for a little while, try to mark as many as you can as junk, and then your email will take over and do that for you in the near future. Now, the other little question I had was from a a, a couple who were buying, uh, they were moving into an area, they didn't have a landline, and the Telstra reception nearby was pretty poor. And they said, what can we do? I don't want to put a landline in there, but it's very hard to make phone calls if you're a Telstra customer in this house. So what I suggested was if they did want to be able to make calls from their home, they can do a couple of things. One suggestion was to, uh, if they've got broadband connection there, and they are Optus customers. Optus have this new feature now where you can actually make and receive calls over Wi-Fi. So uh, there is an app to do it uh, if you want to actually make the call on Wi-Fi. And there is a new development where there is a native application, uh, depending on the device, the Samsung Galaxy S7 and S7 Edge have now the ability to sense whether it's better for you to make a call over Wi-Fi or over the cellular network. It'll choose the strongest signal for you. More devices will have that capability. So my suggestion was if they wanted to still make and receive calls, Telstra wasn't an option, there wasn't enough reception, they still wanted to have calls. They didn't want to have a home phone. That was one way to try to get a better signal, try to get some internet in their home and utilize that home internet connection to make and receive Wi-Fi calls uh, with Optus. Optus may even have a, the strong enough reception in their area. That could be an option, but it's good knowing you've got a backup there if you can make your calls on Wi-Fi if you have to, if the signal isn't strong enough. Uh, I've written about all those stories. You can check them out at techguide.com.au.
And that is our show for this week. You can read about everything we've spoken about, of course, at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then... Stay safe and stay connected. 